Hello and welcome to Pumped, the Inside Podcast by Schwalbe. I'm your host Tobias Wogon and I'm talking here with Schwalbe athletes from different disciplines. From downhill to cross country and from road riding to triathlon. And this week I'm talking to Chris Hall. The UK rider is a long distance specialist and did a couple of crazy races in Kyrgyzstan or in Morocco. And he's also competing in a lot of 24-hour races and in a 24-hour time trail UK National Championship. How he survived such long races and what his concept is to achieve his goals and doing the best racing time, you will find out in this episode of Pumped. Hello, Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm sitting in my flat in central London uh, at my desk with a multitude of recording devices in front of me. Um, <laughs> which, hey, hey, look, let's, let's just bring it up very subtly that some, some silly chap's uh, laptop crashed and lost our audio, so... Anyway, cut that or leave it. We do, we do either way. It's kind of funny, but yeah, I'm at my, I'm sitting at my uh, just at my desk, looking at a bright yellow wall in central London, basically right now. Okay, so you are a long distance specialist, and you're riding many mm. endurance races. How did you come to concentrate on such races? Yeah, so. I mean, specialist is a particular word, isn't it? Like, I, I, I never would say I was a specialist. I'd say I just <laughs> found out, I f kind of figured out that uh, long distance races are slow enough that I can be competitive in them. And, you know, I, I it all started uh, quite a few years ago. I <clears throat> I started, uh, I, just, I do a lot of sort of charity work for a, a children's school, which is called the Pace Center. Um, Pace is a charity that looks under after... 107 children with uh, motor-based disorders so things like cerebral palsy um, and going back a few years I, I decided kind of spontaneously to ride around uh, Richmond Park for 24 hours um, at the time I, I don't think it had ever been done before so but uh, to me like the 24-hour aspect of it was like a real like it's a hot it's hard it sounds impressive and it's it's tangible to other people um, so I did that rode around in circles big circles for a day uh, i did it on the summer solstice so tactically because it's the most sunlight was why i did it then and richmond park's very dark at night yeah and i felt uh surprisingly like fresh still at the end and like a lot fresher than i thought i would and that kind of uh indicated to me that maybe maybe i was all right at doing longer distance stuff like i didn't like i i felt all right enough that i could just like carry on pretty much with my day which is weird to say but yeah i didn't feel half as bad as i thought i would and how how many laps you did on the park and how many k's was it in the end um laps was a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, i i felt like i was like slightly turning left all the time like genuinely because it was a circle <laughs> uh when i stopped and i turned the other way around it really it felt really weird um <laughs> i but i think kilometers i think it was like maybe 
450, 500. So it was nowhere near the kind of distance that I, I've done since, but it's still, you know, a really significant distance to have accomplished on the bike. So you didn't prepare for it? Not properly, not like I would do for some of the other races. Like I, I knew I was going to do it. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I knew I was going to do it. And I kind of like, uh, you know, had like all like food and stuff prepared, ready for it. But I hadn't trained for it like I train for some of the races that I've done more recently. Yeah. And um, then you decided to to move more into the 24 hours races. What is the biggest challenge for you on the 24 hours? Yeah, they're, 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 they're quite a unique beast, the 24-hour races. Um, you know, I've done everything from 24-hour uh, time trials to, like, 24-hour road races. I've never done a mountain bike one, but I, I'd really love to do a mountain bike one. I, to be honest, I'd love to do more mountain biking, full stop. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, for me, like, uh, the, the, there's a couple of aspects that are tough about them. And part of it is mental and part of it's physical. Um, you know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into those kind of races in, like, how you uh, train your body to fuel for them, how you get used to riding those kind of lengths of time on the bike, uh, mentally how you cope with things like when it's dark or when it's, you know when the sun's rising or the sun's setting. Um, for me, it's always about how do you deal with the physical aspects of pu punishing your body for 24 hours and how do you accept that it's going to hurt? Because part of it is acceptance. Like you have to accept that you're going you're gonna to be sore and uncomfortable and it's going <laughs> to be painful. And then the other part of it is mentally being able to keep yourself, your mind just, uh, kind of aware that you're doing it and, keep uh, positively reinforcing yourself to you know keep moving forward and keep motivated to ride especially if you're you know you're racing like a national level race what do you think what, like what, a, what is harder the physical side how you train or the mm -hmm. mental side um i think it's you know i think it's a bit of both i think um for me Probably the mental side is harder than the physical side um, because I think with the physical side, I sort of accept that it's going to hurt and I accept that it's only 24 hours, like there's 365 days in a year. <laughs> there's, you know, we average age of a person is what, like 80? So it's one day out of a hell of a lot of days. So the physical side of it, like I, I can kind of, I can kind of get around that and accept it and accept that it's going to be painful. Uh, the mental side of it, like I'm, I'm someone that I, I really struggle with like pre-race nerves, which is ridiculous. Um, but I struggle with pre-race nerves and I struggle, um, like I have a lot of self doubt and which is also ridiculous because I've done so many of these kind of races now. Like, um, it's an unnecessary evil really. Um, and it's also for me that I really struggle is like how uh you know at night time especially uh, it's always the toughest part of it is like the bit just before the sun rises um because you're kind of you're sort of dealing with uh you've been in the dark as long as possible your your, your natural body cycle is to uh you know to be asleep and to be resting yet you're still like pummeling your body like riding hard trying to go further and faster um 
so for me the mental aspect of it is is tough but there's you know i i through experience i've learned ways on how to i guess kind of cope with it mm-hmm. and part of that you know it's all uh i, I read like i read and listen i listen to lots of audiobooks and i read quite a lot of books as well about like uh you know positive mindset sets and like keeping positive and as, as someone who uh used to suffer like quite severely with depression it, it, it was really important to me to have this kind of like this uh find a way of being able to keep my mind in the straight and narrow. So one of the things for me was always like, if I ever thought that I was starting to like lag a bit, was just to say to myself, like looking good, feeling good, you know, looking strong, feeling strong and just keep like repeating <laughs> that in my head, which sounds, it sounds silly, but it, it worked for me. It worked. It's like, it's a positive reinforcement. And the other part of it is like, there's, there's a <laughs> lot of talk, that's what right. I'm doing every morning in front of the mirror, looking good. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I look, I look on point today. Yeah, scrap the fact that I had, scrap the fact that I had a pizza and like, yeah. I don't know, like a huge tub of ice cream for dinner is fine. I still look amazing. Yeah, um, but the other side of it is like uh, smiling. So, which also sounds stupid when you say it, uh, but smiling releases like endorphins just smiling even if it's a fake smile it releases endorphins which is what we get from cycling um so if you smile when you're you know feeling a bit shit you're releasing these positive endorphins which actually help to encourage you to like start to feel a bit better mm-hmm. which i i know it sounds really weird when i say it but it genuinely <laughs> middle of the night in a 24-hour race i'll be sitting there smiling because i because i, I know it's helping me so that, um, that means you're on the bike since, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 hours mm-hmm. in the UK where the weather isn't always super good and you're yeah. suffering and it's dark and you're smiling the whole time. Is, yeah. that, <laughs> is that your concept? I must look so weird. <laughs> I must look so weird. But I mean, yeah, I... It's just like, it's what mentally helps me to cope with those kind of uh, situations. Um, and every, everyone has their own little hacks and things that they do in these races. Like, And like a, a, another one is like brushing your teeth. Like, they do it all the time. But for me, like if I feel really, really like run down in one of these races, uh, I'd like, as I've done more and more i've managed to reduce my stoppage time from like originally being like i think the first like 24 hour like national 24 hour i did i probably stopped for like four hours which is a lot Mm -hmm. but then i got it every year i got it down like the next year it was like two hours the next year it was like 30 minutes and managed to reduce it down every time and then there's these like little hacks that you can have which personally will help you Brushing teeth is another one for me because it's like that instant, like freshen up. Um, you know, in these kind of races, you're eating so much sugar, you know, sweets, gels, bars, flapjacks, whatever it is, like, uh, you know, isotonic solution in your drink, whatever you're having, it's all sugar based, and you get that like fluffy, sugary teeth. So, like, yep. brushing them always like revitalizes you and it always makes me feel fresher. Um, it's the same with like eating like citrusy stuff so 
for me, like I, I would have like citrusy, like flapjacks, like with orange zest and or like a lemon zest or something in them because it it's like a palate cleanser and it allows your body to um, be able to cope more with more sweet stuff because you're basically neutralizing uh, the palate um, mm-hmm. by cleansing it. Uh, so and obviously so much of like cycling food is sweet but then I, I, I get to a point where I get fed up of sweet stuff probably once every now and then I mean I've got a sweet tooth but every now and then I like something that isn't sweet and for me like it's roast potatoes just like having a potato having a bite of a potato because it's still great carbs and you can put it in your pocket you know and it's got a skin on it so it's got its own little packaging yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um yeah, that that means um, you're riding for 24 hours and you're just yeah. stopping 30 minutes in total. So yeah, pr- pretty much. But you're Which doing sounds... it. You you're splitting these 30 minutes, or it's one block of an where you can stretch or where you can uh, get a massage or eating something, or you're splitting splitting it over the whole the whole time. Okay, so yeah, I, the last so the last national 24 2019 i that was a 30 minute stoppage time over 24 hours so how i split it up was basically i would carry enough fuel for four hours um for me that equates on the tt bike it would be two large bidons two large water bottles uh one generally was water and one was like an isotonic uh drink and or like with like a carb solution in it as well so it's like you're getting carbs in you're getting your salts in and then one's just water because it's like freshens your mouth up and then i'd always have on me two gels and then two whether it was a bar or two like solids i guess is probably the best way of putting it Mm -hmm. and then on that would be enough for me to fuel like the amount of carbohydrates which was sort of between 60 and 90 grams of carb an hour um, that was kind. Of, it, we worked out that that was pretty much, which is a lot of carbs. Sixty to ninety grams is a lot more than most people can stomach. But it's somehow, you can like train your gut to get used to taking in more carbohydrates. It's just practice, practice, practice. So but, that that means you're you're eating you're eating a lot while and and you call it training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like eating is training. Like it's and it, these races are eating contests. It's like the more you can eat, the better you're going to perform. <laughs> but so, for me, like, which sounds stupid as well because it's a bike race. But literally, it's that simple. Like you've got if you've got a fire, and you don't put another log on the fire, the fire goes out. It's the yeah. same sort of concept. Yeah, um, I mean, you need to fuel your body. So, are you able to eat the whole time? Um, bars and uh, potatoes or is, <laughs> is the the body at one point saying okay that's it i just need liquid stuff i can't so the stomach can't work with the with the bars and the potatoes anymore yeah you get like um you get to a point where you really can't stomach solids anymore and for me it's normally I would say 18 hours in roughly mm-hmm. 18 to 20 hours in to a 24 hour race. And I, what I do at that point is I switch to a more carbohydrate, like quite heavy carbohydrate based solution in my drink bottles and then just gels. But the, the thing with gels that you do have to be careful with is that, um, 
is to do the pH levels of gels. So like normally if you're like going for a bike ride with your mates or you're going, you know, you're doing like a, a road race or whatever it is, or you're doing a mountain bike race, you know, you could take a couple of gels and it's fine. But you think over 24 hours, if you're having like two gels every four hours, it can cause a pH imbalance in your, in your, in your gut and in your system, mm-hmm. which can give you stomach aches and can make you very sick. So you have to be really like careful with gels and like knowing, understanding what the pH balance is in them to try and make sure that you don't disrupt your natural body balance inside your gut. So one of the things we had in 2019 was I, I got really sick and we, we didn't, we couldn't figure out what it was for like, like for ages and eventually we figured out that it was to do with the the, the ph levels of the two the, a specific brand of gel mm-hmm. which just for some reason like completely threw my stomach out of balance and it was it wasn't that i hadn't tested these gels it before like i've been practicing and training using them but i hadn't tested them over 24 hours before yeah because um, you don't really race a 24-hour race before racing a 24-hour race, if that makes any sense. <laughs> of course. Um, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you, would, you wouldn't run a marathon before doing a marathon. You'd, you'd go up to like, I don't know what, three quarters of a marathon? I, I don't know. I'm not a runner, so I wouldn't yeah. know, to be honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it, it was uh, like last year, I got, I got really, really sick and I, I, I threw up twice on the bike. This is really grim. But I'm going to go a bit. I, yeah, anyway, I, I threw up twice on the bike and the my support crew, who, as I say, I saw them every four hours for like three minutes. And uh, what they're there to do is just check I'm all right, fill my water bottles up, fill my pockets up. It's like a, you know, like an F1 pit stop. It's like, chung, 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 everything done. Are you okay? Yes, cool, go. And it's like so efficient and so slick. Um <laughs> But like I came in and one of the guys in the pit crew, who's a good friend of mine, he's, he's also a nutritionist. And he said, um, is that sick on your bike? And I was like, yes. And he was like, have you thrown up? I was like, yes, I've thrown up twice, actually. And he was like, OK, so your stomach is currently empty. We need to change what you've eaten because something's not agreeing with you. You've just thrown up twice, which is not good. Uh, so he gave, literally handed me a bag of gummy sweets and was like, eat that whole bag now. And so I just sat there, <laughs> opened this bag up. You know, there's that like really famous, have you seen there's a really famous clip of like Sagan where he's just eating like a bag of Haribo like, yeah. at the end of a race? Yeah, that was me. I was the same. I think I might have eaten it. <laughs> I might have done it quicker than him as well. But, um, you know, 2019 was a tough year for me because of because of that. And I got, I got hit by a car uh, just before the race, which no one wants to be in that situation like it completely <laughs> ruins it, your strategy yeah it's 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 not really the 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 proper proper training for <laughs> for a 24 hour race no i mean you know you think of you think of like time trial bikes as well that they're notoriously aggressive yeah and and like stiff and i, I herniated a disc in my back so being hit by a car with a herniated disc having to ride in a time trial position uh, uh i wouldn't recommend it to anyone <laughs> um but you know needs must it was like my big goal for last year and so i i wanted to do it you know i'd kind of like i i kind of accepted that i maybe wasn't going to be as competitive as the previous year but i accepted that i was going to give it a damn good shot 
Yeah. And um, how much time do you need to recover after such an event? I think it, I think it varies. But I, I mean, at the end of the nationals last year, I, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember finishing. I remember getting off the bike and handing the bike to someone. I don't really know who. I think it was a friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> so you still then, left the bike? Then it was a friend of you. I think it was a friend of mine. I, I still have the bike, so yeah, it must be somewhere. Um, I and then I have like about like a three or four hour gap where I don't really remember anything, and that's because I was like, part. I I got into the back of uh, my friend's van, and I was just passing in and out of consciousness for like a couple of hours, like three hours or something, and like being very with it, and then being completely like fainting, and then you know being with it and then fainting again. And that's like just like blood rush, you know, your body's been working so hard and your blood just rushes from all your organs and uh, like, you know, lightheaded, fainting. Um, and then but I don't think, uh, I think people don't often, you know, realize how important rest is after doing a race like that. Or, you know, a, even if you're not racing it, like a challenge like that, like whether you're doing one of, there's so many of them that are around like, Uh, car race circuits now across the world like um you need to like live in the moment and relish the fact that you've completed an incredibly hard challenge you know accept it and kind of enjoy that don't always think about the next thing like kind of live in that moment and remember that you know now's the time to kind of relax and go i've done what i needed to do and i've done it damn good or you know, I've done what I needed to do and I've learned so much from it, you know, always learn from it. And so like for me, I think like last year, I probably didn't really get back on the bike for maybe a month. A month um, after the race. Yeah, I mean, I would go for like little like cafe spins with my friends and like part of it was also though last year, especially I was I was trying to recover from the herniated disc as well as having done you know the race so i took a bit longer off and went to physio to try and recover with that mm -hmm. but you kind of i think like you know you definitely want to give yourself at least two weeks maybe longer because you need to you need to, to allow yourself to like go again you just need to accept that your body needs a break and like i may be in previous years i'm probably not i probably wasn't very good at that um in previous years, I, uh, for example, in 2017, I just sort of carried on like going, like carried on like mentally going next, 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 like not really enjoying the moment. Mm -hmm. And it ended up, I, I got, I got a pneumonia and then I got, um, I got shingles, which is like, um, basically your body, uh, attacks the nervous system, mm -hmm. um, And so, and it's, it's like, um, the, it's really hard to explain, but it you basically like you come up in like little blisters and stuff. Yeah. It's just it's like, not good. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's called being really run down and trying to do too much. Um, but it's like a, a bit touch holding onto an electric fence. That's what it feels like. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and there's no, there's no cure for it. You just have to rest. Literally the cure is rest. Um, so I kind of, I, that was like my body going, if you don't stop, things are just going to get worse from here. So yeah. stop. Um, and that was like, that led to me having, I think like three or four months, like pretty much completely off the bike because of it. Okay. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah. 
So you you started with a really special event into your long distance, let's name it career or whatever. Um, you decided to to do a charity race or a charity challenge, riding for yeah. 107 days in a row, 107 k's. So yeah. how how did you came up with this idea? Yeah, it's still the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, so I did it, as I said previously, to fundraise for... I do a lot of fundraising for this charity called the Pace Center. And Pace looks after 107 kids with motor-based disorders. So that's things like cerebral palsy. Um, what they do is they you know, do cognitive learning and help... Their, their belief is basically that every child should be have a right to education no matter if they have a disability or not mm -hmm. and a right to be you know to be inspired to do whatever they believe they can do like the kid wants to be a, a cyclist we'll work out a way to make that work the kid, if the child wants to become a fireman there's a way you can there's always a way there's always a solution it's a very like important charity to me because i've got two friends that have uh, kids there and I've done, I've done quite a lot of stuff from the past and, and it, it, I think it's a, just an unbelievable place and so for me riding 107 kilometers for 107 days was the idea of it was to try and fundraise for them and it was about but it more than fundraising it was about exposure you know it's 107 days is like three and a half months so getting a continual challenge where there's no rest days like there's no there's no let up from it and I was you know I was working a full-time job at the time I was working in architecture at the time as well which is like a full-time job and then an extra job on top of it <laughs> and because it's just, just so full-on and then I did it through the winter and doing it I still question why I did it through the winter but I think we, <laughs> part, part of it was like because it kind of added to the sounds ridiculous to say but it added to the story it made made it sound harder because like so many people were like oh yeah that's all right doing it in the summer but like when you do it through the winter and you're you know i was getting up i was getting on the bike at five o'clock most mornings to ride before work and it's pitch black yeah like, even in london it's pitch black and the thing with that challenge was like the fact that there was no rest days is it just it was relentless is a relentless distance to do every single day like on a good day it was four hours of riding on a good day mm. on a bad day like i think the longest it ever took me was nine hours oh. and, and, that, and how yeah. how did you achieve that goal so did you split the 107 k's in more uh, little rides or did you one big ride mm. um it varied really so I all, I kind of planned out every week as I was doing the challenge because like for me like planning and having numbers and stuff to these sort of things really helps with kind of understanding it. So I would always try and get up really early on a Monday and try and get like 70 to 80 kilometers done before work. And the reason for that was because like mentally I could deal with it much better to know that it was done like early on. Um, yeah. And then... And then it meant that basically like the ride uh, in the evening was like uh, kind of like a cool down, but also it was like it was like a bit further than what I would normally have to do to ride home anyway. So it kind of worked out okay in the week. Um, but the problem with that, that strategy was is getting up so early, 
every week was every day I ended up waking up later and later. And that's just like from sleep, literally sleeping through alarms. Um, so it would start off by doing like 70 to 80K in the morning to slowly as it came on, like through the week. So like by Wednesday, it'd be like 50K in the morning and then the rest in the evening. And then Thursday, it'd be like 70K in the evening and like 30 odd K in the morning. Yeah. And then by Friday, it was normally like, I'm just doing the whole ride in the evening because I'm exhausted. <laughs> and then Saturday would be sleep and then go like just go out as soon as I woke up, basically. Same on Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday would be, I'd try and use those as best as I could to catch up on sleep. But in the weekdays, you know, it was it was tough. Like I remember, you know, I'd, I'd go out in my lunch breaks in, in on the bike. I'd cycle to a cafe to go and get lunch just so that I was, getting extra kilometers in and every day i rode over 107k because i wanted to make sure that i hit that distance because every single ride is you know it was on my strava on commute it was all in the public space so I, I had to make sure that it was over the distance to make sure that it happened um because like there's nothing worse is there you know like say you go for a ride or anyone goes for a ride and you go and do 100k and you upload the ride and it's 99.9 and you're just like <laughs> it's so frustrating and 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 like I was the same with this is like I had to go over to make sure that I did definitely do it yeah and how did you fundraise the money so did you get it paid or um yeah by by every k you've ridden or how do you get the money for the charity so I had like a fundraiser page set up um, in the UK with this thing called Just Giving, which is like an online platform where people can donate to. And what I did was, so at first, it didn't actually get a lot of attention and didn't actually really make a lot of money at first. And for me, fundraising was obviously a massive part of it, but the bigger thing was exposure. Um, And it, what, one of the things that's come out of it that's so lovely is that that number is like properly associated to me. And like on social media, people send me photos of when they've done 107 kilometers, which is re it's really lovely that still people associate, <laughs> one, associate that number with me and then also associate that number with Pace, the charity, so that it's the, the charity still in people's minds. Yeah. But it, I think because of the length of the challenge, it allowed people to really follow the challenge and kind of feel part of it like I was always just like if you want to come and ride with me come and ride with me because to be honest like I was bored out of my skull like I wanted to talk to people <laughs> uh, there's only you know in, the, in, in living in central London to get that kind of distance you have to do it in Regent Park or Richmond Park really before work and they're circles like they're just going around in circles and so as the challenge went on, like it got more and more traction and it started to get in like the cycling press and then it got in like nat the, the radio on the national radio. And then it would be in like mainstream newspapers and then it was on the TV and all of that combined helped point people towards the fundraising page, which also then also another angle came in that there were some large uh, companies that, sort of turned around and went, we really think what you're doing is incredible. So here is our charity budget for the year. We'll do a private donation to the charity. And this which is, is my which is mind blowing. Like, yeah, definitely. It's it's great. Yeah. And it meant that 
the 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 funds allow Pace to open a secondary school unit, which is it's more of like a it's more kind of hospital like. But the idea of the secondary one was to help children who are like from newborn to like primary school age. So that's like from newborn to like three or four, um, and to help uh, diagnose and like find if a child does have any like motor-based disorders um, and to help with like help the parents to understand how to get help their child more than anything. Uh, like it's an incredible place. Like there's like one of the things that I, when I went to see it, when it first opened, one of the things that I thought was amazing was like, they've got like these, imagine like a big log swing and mm-hmm. uh, every child at the, at pace basically has, a a nurse that looks after them and a carer that looks after them they because it's very staff heavy and what they had on like these big long logs they're like swings like a log swing and at one end of it will be the child with uh like the mum she'd have the the kid sitting in her lap and the idea of this like and then the nurse would sit on the other side and that just like or the carer would sit on the other side and they're just the gentle movement like backwards and forwards of this swing would help these young kids to start to understand how to hold their core and to sit up. Because if you've got a motor-based disorder, quite often you can't control that. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, little things that you and I would take for granted, like picking up a pencil or a fork, which to us is like second nature, is something that some some of these, not all of them, but some of these kids have to really concentrate on and think about. And it's frustrating for them because they're they're intelligent kids. They know how to do it. It just their body's limiting them, but mm-hmm. they, they're being able to start to support these kids at such a young age, young age through the fundraising of that challenge for me is still like it's the, probably the proudest thing I've ever done, and yeah. it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's, uh, it's it's really great that you that you have done it, and um, I really like the idea of setting up a challenge and then having a a good outcome out of it. That it's not mm. just a challenge. And you're proud of the achievement of the challenge, but you also did an amazing thing for these uh, for these ch- children. So this is this is a really really cool cool story, and I I really like the idea. A it, cu- was, it, uh, it is just so hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I care about it. A couple of years later, you mm-hmm. compete in the road mountain race in Kyrgyzstan. A one thousand seven hundred k gravel race through the middle of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that sums it up. <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about um, this experience. So, from is a country that I never thought in a million years I would go to, like, <laughs> and that was part of the draw of it. It's not um, on the on the typical holiday list, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with you there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it's the, the Silk Road mountain race um, in Kyrgyzstan. And for me, uh, the appeal of it was that it was so different from anything I'd ever experienced before. I like, I, I love these kind of challenges and these races that go to places that you wouldn't normally go to and being absorbed by a culture that you wouldn't normally be around. And that is a, is a very different culture to like a Western culture. 
like it's a really simple thing that which is quite i guess is quite topical at the moment as a you know as a white male going to kyrgyzstan uh the you know their instant reaction is that i was russian not that i was british not that i was american or german or anything like that it was russian Mm-hmm. And so people would talk to you in Russian, and I was like, "I'm, I'm sorry, I'm definitely not Russian, and I definitely don't know what you're saying." <laughs> um, so there was lots of like language barriers, uh, but surprise, like, uh, do you know what? Like Google Translate is yeah. the best tool in those situations. It's so useful. But as a country, like the scenery, the landscapes, the how barren it was, how unexplored it was, how literally in the middle of bloody nowhere you were um was incredible and like it's little things like the sunrises were like some of the most beautiful colors i've ever seen in my life um and that's how that's what that that's what that experience was like like the the scenery changed so much the you know the altitude even like uh Bishkek where the race starts is really high above sea level it's higher than pretty much anywhere in the UK above sea level that's your start point and from Bishkek you climb up Kegati Pass which is a very big mountain and you know from the top of Kegati like I was struggling with altitude sickness like I've never been at an altitude like that but I'd never to know how my body coped with that is also quite fascinating like I because I for me it's always like doing these kind of challenges is like trying basically it's about finding your physical limit and then working out a way to go through it and to carry on to find a new physical limit and Kyrgyzstan really did that in many ways more than I thought it would and then you know coming forward in time like you know with the 24-hour time trials like doing them while injured you know it's the same thing finding that limit and learning to set yourself a new limit going out to i did the atlas mountains race at the start of this year in morocco Mm -hmm. unfortunately i had a pretty horrific crash out there um which meant i had to pull out the race which was you know that's the nature of these kind of things but yeah it's finding those limits and pushing yourself to find those limits and that's that's the biggest like one of the biggest things for me is like I know that my limit is here, but how do I get it 10 times above that? So you're doing a, a lot of those bikepacking, bikepacking challenges or bikepacking races. Uh-huh. Why? So what, what, what is special about bikepacking? Why do people like you in the world where everything is available at any time, why do you decide to go with almost... Yeah, almost nothing on a on a bike trip, and uh, <laughs> just having the really the the necessary tools with you or the necessary stuff with you. I think it's a lot about. Uh, I think a lot of it is to do with freedom. Uh, you know, I grew up in the countryside, and I now live in the center of a city. Like I can look out my window and I can see the Shard and like loads of the big skyscrapers in London, but my heart loves to be in the countryside. I'm kind of in the city for practical sense, for work and for connections. But realistically, I'd love to be, you know, going and exploring somewhere new. And I think a big part of like the freedom of it is so, you know, something that people really are drawn to. And also this like association of like adventures when you were kids. 
so for me like when i was a kid i used to just go camping in the woods and stuff like mm-hmm. because and that was just that was just me being a kid like i used to just like it i used to have fun with it but as a as an adult like for some reason that sense of adventure seems to vanish in a lot of people and i don't know why i'm not sure why it does but it just does and for me like that's that's really sad that it does it's really sad but bringing that back by going bike packing and like i feel like a lot of people can probably like resonate with that that like you're bringing back a bit of that childhood fun and that exploration and going somewhere new yeah. and like the fact that you're doing it on your own by your own power like your own legs are doing it you know even if you're on an e-bike you're still doing it you know e-bikes just help they don't it's still hard you're still working mm-hmm. um you know that ability to go and explore somewhere and know that you're powering yourself and also for me like with cycling you're you're traveling at a speed that you're like you're going fast enough that you can cover some distance but you're still going slow enough that you can really absorb what's going on around you and bike packing really allows you to absorb things like smells sights sounds you know all of your senses are being you know ticked off and uh, and worked because you're you're in nature and it's the same with these like the bike packing races like yes it's still a race and there's a pressure on you but uh, fundamentally it's about exploration as well like you're going to experience a new culture a new country a completely different way of life to what you're used to yeah and you can do that from your own you know from your own doorstep obviously maybe not to the same extreme levels but you can still go and explore and find somewhere new and to me that's incredible like yeah. that's part of the part of what's so exciting about uh bike packing whether it's mountain biking road or off-road like whatever sort of part of it you take on it yeah when we're talking about exploring i mean you have seen a lot of different countries and a lot of different landscapes But what is the one country which is on top of your bucket list and you always wanted to go there? Oh man. There's a f it was until it was until last year it was Australia and that was because uh, I, I say until last year because I I rode across Australia last year but the reason why it was Australia is because I I used to work for an Australian architecture firm so I used to travel to Australia quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really felt like I saw it. I didn't feel like I ever experienced it. I just kind of flew in, did some work and flew out. So it was Australia for a long time. And and part of it still is Australia because I, I this Australia is huge. And I've yeah. only, I've only like seen the South of Australia. I went from Perth to Melbourne, which is, that's like three times the length of the UK, but yeah, in comparison to Australia, that's tiny still. <laughs> um, and so that's always been one that I'd, I'd still, there's so much in Australia that I still want to see, but I really, you know, I'd love to see more. Unfortunately, I haven't seen as, enough of Europe as I'd like to. Like I've never cycled in Germany ever. Really? I've never cycled in Germany and I would love to go to like the Black Forest. And yeah. I've, I've not done a lot of cycling in France and France is on my, you know, it's so close to me, yeah. really. I've not done much in France. Um, and even like countries that are, you know, I'd love to go to Iceland, um, Norway. There's like in Europe, there's so, we're so lucky to have so many amazing places. But on the flip side, I'd lo- I would love to ride across America. Like 
there, there is the race across America, and it's been yeah. on my like bucket. It's been on my bucket list for years, but to do it like bike packing, self supported, that's like that's the dream because because America's such a big country as well, and so much diversity and change. And admittedly, it's it's going through a volatile time right now, but still, as a country, it's so there's so much of it that you can see. Like yeah. It'd be one of those places that fascinate me. It, the problem, it's so the problem is, is uh, yeah, the problem is, is that there's the world's just so big that there's so much. There's always somewhere new you can go. Like, like I said, like it was Australia, but now I've done a big part of Australia. That yeah, I know there's other places that I'd like to go before. Um, even do you know where else actually would be quite cool? I'd love to go um, and do some more across Africa. Mm-hmm. Having done. Morocco which some people would argue Morocco is is kind of I know I know like some people would argue Morocco is not true Africa yeah because it's it's quite westernized and does feel quite European but I'd love to see more more of Africa as well because Africa as a continent is like so fascinating like you look at the wildlife there as well like it's I mean, everything in Australia wants to kill you, but everything in Africa is big and wants to kill you. So, you know. <laughs> That's a different challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, 2020 is a really weird year. Um, and you had a lot, a lot of plans for this year, which are not really happening. But mm. do you have any special goals for 2021? Yeah, I mean, 2020, as you said, it's been a, the situation that we're in, it, you know, it is a global pandemic. It's, it's incredibly sad, the situation that we're currently in worldwide, but, uh, and obviously it's affected a lot of people on personal levels as well as, um, you know, as well as countries and, uh, you know, economies, everything like that. Um, it's meant that most of the stuff that I plan to do this year has been, postponed or cancelled or you know move the dates have moved etc and uh for me like i'm kind of like thinking towards 2021 now um what hopefully you know as the restrictions start to get lifted if it's appropriate for them to be lifted that i'll be able to go one to go exploring again and go and find some amazing new places um i had like a couple of like races that are on my radar like the badlands gravel race um in spain Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it is currently it was supposed to be in May this year, yeah. And they have rescheduled it to September this year, but I, I'm not I'm not certain if it will happen. Um, and then equally, uh, the other one for me is the the Trans Pyrenees, which obviously as a a seventy six kilo ex rugby player, a climbing challenge, <laughs> you know, a climbing race sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> across the Pyrenees. I mean, to, the big part of that one was like it's somewhere I've never ridden before, and I'd love to ride it. Um, but I'm kind of, you know, for me, 2021 will be a mix of like a couple of these long distance, like ultra distance races. Um, I'd like to hope a lot of exploration and going and f just exploring the world, and then also beating myself up on a time trial bike because <laughs> I, I really enjoy that competitive aspect still. Um, <laughs> And then, I mean, I might, I'd like to, I, I would really love to get into mountain biking a bit next year, but uh, first of all, I need a mountain bike. And then secondly, I need to <laughs> get used to riding it. Yeah. So, um, that all sounds pretty good. And 
I hope that all your goals um, or you you will reach all your goals goals for next year and we definitely wish you all the luck for everything you do and um, yeah thanks a lot for for your time and for everything and uh, keep up your good work thank you so much for having me it's been really lovely just to chat like as a it's it's weird because I you know I, I have my own podcast but actually to flip it around and talk about yourself to someone is is really humbling as well so thank you so much for your time <laughs> you're welcome so bye bye and talk soon awesome thank you